Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We allow your questions, your comments live on the program. We encourage that. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that the only way this program is going to be interesting is if you do call in because if you're just getting me talking about the Bible, hopefully it'll be valuable, but hope I'm not, I don't know that I'm that interesting, but the callers are what make the program interesting. And I know that. So I want you to call in, ask your Bible question, make a Bible comment. Uh, as I always say, the only rule for this program is that the Bible decides the right answer to every question. The Bible decides all issues. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Talking about being made free from sin. So you got to follow the truth and be made from sin. False religious teaching won't do it. But what tells us what the truth is? Well, John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God defines for us what the truth is. That's why I say the word of God, the Bible, is going to decide any question, any issue that is called in. Um, we can be wrong in what we say. But only if we're saying something different from the Bible. If we're saying the same thing as the Bible says, then we're going to be right. Because God wrote that. It's infallible, as they say. Now, Hebrews 7.12 is a passage I look at every now and then on this program. It says, for the priesthood being changed, there's made a necessity a change also of the law. That last part of that, there's been a change of the law. Uh, if I change the oil in my car, that means to completely replace the old oil with a new oil. So if we change the law, there's been a change of God's law. That means... The New Testament law, the law of Christ, he's our leader, has completely replaced the Old Testament law, sometimes called the law of Moses. Moses was their leader. And so the law of Moses, the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi is no longer in force. When you don't want to know what to do today to please God, what to do to be saved, how to worship God, how to live your everyday life, you're going to turn to the New Testament. But we still study the Old Testament. Why? Well, not because it's our law for today, but because the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, refers to the Old Testament quite frequently. So we study the Old Testament to help us understand the New Testament, which is our law for today. Now, there's a couple of passages that I can think of that will help us see that we should still study the Old Testament, even though it's not our law for today. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So the things written aforetime were written for our learning. Not for our law, but for our learning. Difference there, big difference. First Corinthians ten eleven says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the things that happen in the Old Testament are examples for us. They're written for our admonition or our teaching. So even though we're under the New Testament law, what are some of the things that we can learn from the Old Testament law. What are some of the things that we can learn? Well, let's look at some of those examples of some of those things. But before we do, let's take this call. Keisha from Pennsylvania, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Um, I had a question. I was wondering if you were a drug dealer, do you have that money? Like if you're trying to change your life, do you have drug money? Do you have drug money? Yes. If you're changing your life, there will be no drug money, right? Because you won't be selling drugs anymore. Okay. Okay. So, no. Yeah, that's a good question. Just 
A person should not sell drugs if they're going to try to be a Christian. Okay. So they shouldn't be making any but money. What if you're coming, right, but what if you're changing your life? Like if you're in the process of changing your life. Uh-huh. So you, 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 when you, when you become a Christian, you need to quit selling drugs cold turkey. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Does. Thank you for your call, Keisha. Thank you so much. Appreciate your call. It's a good question. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. So how about Isaiah 53 verse six? Here's something in the Old Testament I think we can learn from. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you know that? Did you know that God laid upon Jesus the sins of us all, all the way, all the sins from every single person that's lived, Adam and Eve till now. And if, say, if the world were to last 10,000 more years, all of those people, all of those sins, probably billions and billions of sins were all laid upon Jesus. If you believe this verse, now, if you don't believe this verse, you might not believe that it happened. But it happened because the verse says that it happened. All of those sins were laid upon Jesus. Uh, what does that mean, that all the sins of the whole world were laid upon Jesus? Well, certainly it doesn't mean the guilt of those sins were laid upon Jesus. Now, that's not what the verse says. A lot of times people say, well, that can't be true. That would mean the guilt of the sins of the people were laid upon on God, on Jesus. <laughs> you can't say, well, that can't be true. I mean, it says it in the Bible, so it is true. Uh, but don't add the word guilt there. Don't, don't, don't add the word and say, God laid the guilt of all the sins of everybody on Jesus. Just read it as it is. Now, verse five, I think, helps us to see what it's talking about. Verse five of the same chapter, Hebrews chapter 53, excuse me, Isaiah 53 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So, you know, when it says all the sins of all the people for all time were laid upon Jesus, what it's talking about, according to the previous verses, is that the chastisement or the punishment of our peace was was laid upon him. In other words, Jesus was punished so we could have peace with God. He was punished for our sins, not for his own sins. He didn't have any. He was punished for our sins so we wouldn't have to be punished for our own sins. So it's literally God laid the sins upon Jesus. But what does that mean literally? It means that Jesus was literally punished. He was not figuratively punished. He was literally on that cross being punished for our sins. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth and him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's what's involved. When all the sins were laid upon Jesus, that's the same as saying, that our sins were washed away by the blood of Christ. We have so much to be thankful for. We ought to live in such a way that shows we appreciate that. Jonathan, Bible Crossfire, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Well, my question, uh, Pastor, is uh, my wife and I sometimes have uh, an argument or two about uh, our intimacy um, during her um, uh, 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 menses, uh, time of the month. And, um, you know, is there anything in the New Testament that would prohibit that? Uh, is that something that is contrary to the will of God? And, you know, I've been telling her that, you know, I think that that would be problematic in God's sight. Uh, 
Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not for certain. I'm just looking for a little bit of guidance. I, I, I quoted the law, um, and she stated that that was the Old Testament. So I just like to get your point of clarity on that. Okay. Now, Jonathan, I can be wrong about anything, but the Bible is always right. But my understanding is she's right. In the Bible, that did affect when husband and wife could be intimate like that. But there's nothing in the New Testament about it. As far as I know, that's just an Old Testament law. And the Old Testament mm. laws are not binding. We're only under the New Testament law. I mean, we started off with a verse tonight. There's been a change in the law. So if there's been a change in the law, that would mean that law would not apply to us unless it happens to overlap, unless that law is found in the New Testament. Do you know anywhere in the New Testament that talks about that same thing, Jonathan? No, and that's why I was I was just asking you just, you know, I was just speaking with some other associates and they said that, well, God, you know, looked at that as an abominable act. But, you know, my wife argued it and said, well, we're under New Testament law, the New Testament dispensation. It's not something that's abominable. It's not something that's condemnable in the body of Christ. So it's okay for us to engage in those activities, um, you know, during the special time of the month. And she's and, right. It's, uh, you know, did you know that eating pork and catfish was called an abomination in the Old Testament? Yes, that I knew. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, right. So but I, knew I don't think you think I don't think you think it's wrong to eat pork and catfish today, do you? Well, I mean, Jesus said that it's not what goes in a man's mouth that defiles yeah. a person; it's what comes out of his mouth. But you know, he never said anything about you know menstrual intercourse, and neither did any of the apostles. So I didn't know if that was something that was binding as well or. Something. You know, they've been so, And so if, if just because what we learned from the fact that it was an abomination to eat pork and catfish, but it's not wrong now, that means just because something is called an abomination in the Old Testament doesn't mean it's wrong. So the people you consulted that said that, they gave you a false argument. A false, that didn't necessarily mean that, that, that what they were teaching was false, but their argument was false. Just because something, the Old Testament says something abomination doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong under the New Testament. To be wrong under the New Testament, the New Testament has to teach that it's wrong. And I don't know of anywhere in the New Testament that teaches that's wrong. But I don't want to beat the dead horse. We talked about this about as much as we can. Jonathan, thanks for your call, okay? Thank you. Appreciate you. Good question. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. And the number to call is 877-655-6755. Here's something else I think we can learn from the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Now, it's true enough we're under a different law now. So when this talks about God's ways being higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than than our thoughts, in the Old Testament, that would mean you go by the Old Testament law, even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't understand it, do it. How would we apply this under new? It would mean the same thing, but with a different law. In the New Testament now, we need to obey Christ's law, the New Testament law, even if we don't agree with it or even if we don't understand it, because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We don't question him and say, I don't agree with that. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. I mean, think of what happened if I'd have said that to my dad when I was growing up. Boy, my bottom would have been sore. So how much more would it have been, should it be with God? He knows a whole lot more than my dad. You don't 
get, when you have an authority like that, you don't get to question them and say, I'm only going to obey you when I disagree with you. I mean, I agree with you. You can't do that. With God, that's especially true because he never makes a mistake. My God, I had a really good dad, but he made mistakes. God never makes a mistake. So you don't question what he says. New Testament is our law. You obey the New Testament without question. You don't, you don't say, I don't agree with it or I don't understand it, so I'm not going to do it. You just do it. Hopefully one day you will understand it. I'm sure we will when we get to, get to heaven and get to ask God about everything. But in this life, we may not understand everything. You do it anyway because you recognize the fact that his laws and thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. It's kind of like a little child, a little boy who's just walking and he sees that red eye on the stove. He may want to reach up there and touch that red eye. His mother says, Bobby, don't touch the red eye on the stove. It'll burn the fire out of you. And and Bobby can learn not to touch the, the eye in one of two ways. Either he can touch it and learn the hard way, or he can trust the wisdom of his mother and understand that she knows what's best, best and not touch it. You see that? Now, that mother's wisdom is far above his. He needs to trust her wisdom. God's wisdom is infinitely above ours, so we need to trust his. Even if we don't understand why we shouldn't touch the red eye on a stove or why uh, it's wrong to divorce your wife and marry another, why that's adultery. Even if we don't understand why, or even if we don't agree with it, we have to obey it. If you're in that second or third marriage, it's an adulterous marriage. You have to get out of it whether you agree with it, that or not because that's what the New Testament says. Terry from Arizona, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, we're just discussing that same topic because it's really an interesting topic. Um, and often the, the questions that people ask sort of are leading to something else in terms of what their hearts desire to know from the Word. And, you know, in my, in my opinion, and I've spent about 60 years studying the Word, um, and I love it, but the, the Jesus said that he wasn't there to change any of the law. With respect to the food laws, God made that change when he told Peter it was perfectly now, perfectly okay for him to kill and eat. If, he, if God says it's okay, it's okay. And there are some laws that don't necessarily apply anymore. They're, they're, the law, the old law is broken into a number of different categories, but the moral laws remain the same. And in the case of the chap that asked the question, it's almost like when Paul said, listen, you're free to eat what you want. But if what you're eating something causes somebody else a stumbling block, that's a problem. It becomes a sin, even though it wasn't in itself by definition a sin. So if this job's calling and his wife wants to have relations at a time when he's uncomfortable with it, then they either have to overcome that themselves or the wife has to respect the husband's discomfort. You know, you know what I'm saying? So there was something else in the question that, that caused me to think, you know, this confusion about the law. The law is the law. I love it. But I, but I follow it because of the power of the Holy Spirit within me, not because I have the ability to, to live a sinful life. Without the Holy Spirit, I'd be duck soup. I guess that's the way I look at it. Terry, in a way, you're right. We have to respect when somebody has a scruple against something, even if it's not really wrong in and of itself, if somebody has a scruple against it. Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 say you need to abide by their scruple. But, of course, we know that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, for example, talking about Jesus, it doesn't say he didn't change the law. It says he abolished these commandments and ordinances. So in, uh, so the very opposite of saying that Jesus didn't change the law, the Bible affirms that Jesus abolished the law. 
We used to have a national 55 mile per hour speed limit in this nation. And then about 10 or 15 years ago, it was abolished. We know what that means. It means you don't have to abide by that 55 mile per hour speed limit. The states set their own things. So the law was abolished according to Ephesians 2.15. That means it's not applicable anymore. You don't have to obey it anymore. Colossians 2.14 through 17 says he nailed it to the cross. It was taken out of the way and blotted out. Nothing can be clearer than that. None of the old law is still binding today. And so that law about the menstrual cycle, unless there's something in the new that says the same thing, it doesn't apply. But our last caller is correct. If somebody thinks something is wrong, even though it's not really wrong according to the New Testament, then you need to abide by their understanding. You need to abide by their understanding. Uh, that's true. Also, though, we don't want to try to use things in the Bible as an excuse. And sometimes people do that. They try to find something in the Bible. They don't want to do something. So they try to fi- twist something in the Bible to make excuse so they don't have to do it. Uh, not saying that's going on here, but it works both ways. We don't, we won't, we want to abide by other people's scruples, but we don't want to have scruples just as an excuse to be able to uh, bl- uh, practice something we don't we want to practice or to not practice something we don't practice. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Here's something else in the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is the ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, this thing is, the same thing is said in effect in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Spiritual death is separation from God, and that's what Isaiah 59.2 is talking about. Our sins separate us from God. They cause us to be separated from God. They cause spiritual death. Now, How is it different in the old and the new? Well, the the difference is sin was sometimes defined differently in the Old Testament. So you committed to sin if you didn't do animal sacrifices back then. You committed to sin if you ate pork and catfish back then. Now in the New Testament times, you don't do animal sacrifices. You can eat pork and catfish. So in some respects, the sins are defined differently, but it's still the same that Old Testament and New Testament, your sins as defined by a transgression of the law you're under, God's law that you're under, 1 John 3, 4, separates you from God. They cause spiritual death. There's some things in the New Testament that weren't in the Old, like the Lord's Supper. We're supposed, 1 Corinthians 11 says we do that to show the Lord's death till he comes, to remember it. Well, they, that wouldn't make any sense under the Old Testament. How could you remember his death? He hadn't died yet. It's strictly a New Testament ordinance. But if you don't do the Lord's Supper. If you don't participate in the Lord's Supper, you're committing sin. It's, and then it separates you from God. That's what we can learn from Isaiah 59 too. It's a New Testament law, but what happens if you break it? Sin separate you from God. How about Jeremiah 10, 23? It says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Now, the last caller uh, seemed to indicate to me that possibly he didn't understand a passage like this correctly. He said, well, he wouldn't know what the Bible says is that the Holy Spirit guides him. Well, the way the Holy Spirit guides you is through the Word of God, the Bible. He doesn't tell you in a small, still voice. He doesn't tell you what parking spot to take at Walmart, and you're disobeying him if you don't take the parking spot he tells you. He 
speaks through the Word of God. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, 3 through 4, that by, how that by revelation, he knew the mystery. And then he wrote it down in words so that when we read it, we may understand it. Ephesians 6, 17 says, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So the Word of God is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And that's how the Holy Spirit tells us how to live. It's through, not through some voice in your mind or some feeling, but by reading and studying the word of God. And this verse in Jeremiah 10, 23 says, it's not in man to direct our own steps. Now this is talking about religiously. We're not talking about physics or calculus or something like that, or football, you know, that's, we're not talking about directing our steps there. We're talking about in trying to serve the Lord, we don't try to direct our own steps. Instead, we allow God to tell us how to serve him. I mean, after all, it's his party. <laughs> it's his religion. It's his Christianity. Christianity, Christian means follower of Christ. How do we follow Christ? We have to walk. We don't direct our own steps. We're directed by God through the word of God, through the Bible. It's not in man to direct his own steps. In the Old Testament, that principle is true. They needed to follow the Old Testament law. And that's how, if they did, they would be pleasing to God. And then when they sinned, they could be forgiven if they repented and they were forgiven based upon the death of Christ. It's the same way today, except with a different law. It's not in man to direct his steps. Instead, we should look at the New Testament law to find out how to walk, how to make our own steps. When we sin, we can repent of that sin. Acts 3.19, repent therefore uh, well, that's Acts 8.22. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. Acts 3.19, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Peter told believers in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You repent, you're forgiven, based upon the death of Christ. The blood of Christ washes away your sins, Revelation 1.5, when you repent. It's not in man to direct our steps. Instead, we look to God, law, the Bible, to direct our steps. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755. Ezekiel 3.18 says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. If we have an opportunity to teach somebody, talk somebody about the Bible, God's word, Christianity, and we don't warn them, then not only are they going to be lost, but their blood will be required at our hand. Acts, the New Testament says, teaches the same thing in Acts 20, 26 and 27 says, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And in the same chapter, verse 31 says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. In Bible study at church today, we were talking about Mark 6, 17 and 18, where John the Baptist told Herod about his wife Herodias. It's not lawful for you to have her. You know, John the Baptist could have preached a thousand things that were true from the Bible that wouldn't have offended Herod and Herodias, but he didn't. <laughs> he could, for example, he could have preached uh, from, we'll say, just... As a, uh, an example, Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2, 13, even though they didn't exist then, that we're supposed to obey the rulers. And then Herod and Herodias, their rulers, they would have been glad to hear that. They would have said, great sermon, and patted John the Baptist on the back. He could have preached a bunch of different things where they could have patted his back and said, great lesson. But he chose 
to teach about something that they were lost about, their marriage. They were in an unscriptural marriage. They're going to be lost if they remain in that condition. And so John the Baptist taught them about something that was causing them to be lost. Too bad we don't have more preachers today like John the Baptist. They do a real good job of preaching all the truths that their audience agrees with. And they get pats on the back. And the people say, great lesson, great lesson. But they don't do like John the Baptist and say, hey, you're in sin. Here's the verse that says you're in sin. If you don't repent, you're going to be lost. Because if they did that, they'd probably never get invited back. Unfortunately, most gospel preachers preach what's going to get them a pat on the back and what will get them invited back as opposed to preaching on things that their audience is going to be lost over. That's bad. And we could learn from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 3. That's bad. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. 256-682-9753.